Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached September 18, 2011 by Gerald Schrock and is entitled, Live in Peace. This morning, I've titled the message, Live in Peace, and that's taken out of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Let's stand to read this verse. This is a benediction of Paul's to the Corinthians. He tells them these words. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. You may be seated. Live in peace. I'd like to read this this song out of uh, the Life Songs, song number 219, Peace Be Still. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The skies are shadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish How canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? This is from the text, I presume, out of Mark 4.35. Master, with with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep o'er my sinking soul. And I perish, I perish, dear Master. Oh, hasten and take control. Master, the terror is over. The elements sweetly rest. Earth's sun is the calm, earth's sun in the calm lake is mirrored and heavens within my breast. Linger, O blessed Redeemer. Leave me alone no more. And with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. And then it speaks. Testimony here, the winds and the waves shall obey my will. Jesus speaking, peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. Peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace, peace be still. Jesus speaking. So look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 11. Thought of that song, how often have I, have you, have we been in that same ship? I'll look at that passage a little later. The ship that's being so tossed about by the, the mad waves, the storms. And, you know, it's within ourselves, though, where we don't have a peace, where we're... Uh, feeling like we're going to sink in a way. And, and maybe, maybe you're not there this morning. I hope you're not. But I suppose we've all been there at one point or another, or will be there. Uh, that's, that's not a fun place to be. And, and uh, 
And as I read the scripture, I was thinking of that, live in peace. God wouldn't have us be there. Uh, Paul was telling them, the Corinthians here, live in peace. I think it he meant a broader peace than the peace within our soul. Uh, but, but that translates to a broader peace. When we have a peace in here with ourselves, with God, uh, that radiates on out and, and goes into our relationships, uh, goes into our, our, uh, the way we, the way we think, the way we, uh, express ourselves. Live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Well, this morning, um, I had a meant to, to, uh, take on from the Sunday school lesson. I actually hadn't been there. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that's how it worked out. God is the great orchestrator. And to think of, of what we heard this morning, it was a, it was a, uh, a really good lesson. Uh, we saw what happened to peace there early on. First of all, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, Eve disobeyed, Adam was compliant in that disobedience. And then we have here, following on that, we have Abel and Cain, and Cain rebelling against God, arguing with God, finally being upset at Abel and killing his brother. See that peace is further shattered. The ground is further cursed. Uh, Cain is uh, goes on to be a vagabond. Uh, doesn't sound like a peaceful situation, does it? In fact, it's after that God puts the mark on Cain that Cain seems to come around and say, but God, but God, and pleads with God finally, instead of trying to set out his conditions. What is peace? You, first of all, we have an Old Testament peace, shalom. Peace means completeness, soundness of mind, well-being. Uh, this is taken from uh, the JFB commentary, James Fawcett. I'm not sure who the last person is. But anyways, JFB commentary. Shalom means peace, means completeness, soundness, and well-being. So that would be the first form of peace, a, a completeness, a, a soundness. Uh, there was an article in Wikipedia that I thought did a very fine job of, of talking of peace uh, as of, of in the Old Testament. And, and then uh, peace as the world would know it and also New Testament peace. It was from, uh, taken from Catholic traditions. And I'd like to read this. Uh, the New Testament is first and foremost the gospel of peace. In the New Testament, God is described as a God of peace and love itself. Christ is the peaceful king, the way to peace and peace itself. Jesus' message is the summation of peace found in the Hebrew shalom. Jesus' message is the summation or the consummation of peace found in the Hebrew shalom. Yet here all the meanings of peace inherited from the Jewish tradition translated into the Greek of the New Testament are deepened and expanded. Christ brings reconciliation of humanity to God and of humans to one another, healing, nourishment, and renewal to the world, liberation to the poor and oppressed. He fulfills, Christ fulfills, the promise of the Messianic kingdom and the peace that the prophets preached. And he brings wholeness and fulfillment, the deepest meaning of peace. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and his Sermon on the Plain 
combine with Jesus' call to love your enemies, encapsulate his teachings on peacemaking. Irene, I'm not sure if I pronounce him or pronouncing that correctly, is the word that the New Testament generally uses for peace, one of the 20 words used by the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible used in the largely Greek-speaking Jewish communities throughout the Greco-Roman world. It is chiefly through the Septuagint's use of Greek that the Greek word Irene became infused with all the religious imagery and richness of the word shalom in the Hebrew Bible that had evolved over the history of the Jewish people. Irene, therefore, contains not only the earliest meanings of shalom, such as the opposite of war, security, such as the opposite of war, security, order, and harmony, and a greeting or farewell, but it also takes on all the meanings of healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, and wholeness that Jesus taught was the new meaning of the kingdom. So I thought to put together well what peace is. It's, it's, it's the Old Testament, or what we read in the Old Testament, Abraham's greeting of peace uh, to the three men that came. Uh, and other, other greetings there of, of peace be to you. Uh, in Romania, we use peace a lot. That was the Christian greeting, pace. Um, that was just a common greeting as, um, as uh, it, it was considered kind of a, as the, uh, the watchword for, for Christians. You said Pachi to somebody you knew you were part of the same evangelical faith. Uh, so then you have the New Testament peace, which Christ is the fulfillment of that. And then you would also have the Pax Romana peace, which is the as what the world knows as, as peace. And that is uh, um, peace that's enforced, peace that we realized from governmental agencies. The police enforce the law and, and provide us a sense of, of peace and security. Um, that's what the Romans used to, to bring about peace was the sword. And, and, you know, really, when we stop and think about it, that is the next best peace to the peace that we realize in Christ. Without that peace, there's anarchy. And of course, when you have anarchy, you have Cain's killing Abel's. And that's not that great of a society to be in. So we're thankful for that, that peace that God's granted through the government, like it talks of in Romans. But we're much more thankful for the peace that God gives us, offers us to our souls. Live in peace. Finally, brethren, be perfect, be of, a good, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. The source of Christian peace. Who is the source of Christian peace? And I have this outlined. What is peace? The source of Christian peace. How do we lose our peace? Living in peace. Passion for peace. The source of Christian peace. Jesus, of course, is the source of our peace. And I'd like to look at that passage in Mark 4, 35. You can turn to it with me if you'd, if you'd like. Mark 4, 35. In the same day when the even was come, Jesus saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships, 
And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Not a good situation, out in the middle of the sea. Wind's picked up, the waves are beating, they've filled the ship, or almost filled the ship with water. And the disciples, well, you can see what they say here, verse 38. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. So Jesus is in the back of the ship. He's sleeping on a pillow. Jesus is at peace here. Note that. Jesus is sleeping. And they awake him, the disciples awake him, and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? The disciples understood fishing and boating. They made their livelihood out on the sea by bringing in fish. There was a hard life. It took real men, took real strength, physical strength to bring those fish up. It took endurance. And they knew how far they could go and live. They knew how far they could go and bring those ships back in. They knew how much they had invested in these little ships. They also knew, no doubt, that if they went down and they perished, that their families, their wives and children wouldn't have a provider. Um, and, and they were facing the, the very extremity. They, they knew they couldn't make it through this situation. They knew these little ships couldn't take the beatings, couldn't continue taking the beatings, and they'd capsize very shortly. And going down wasn't something they wanted to do. And there in the back on the pillow, their master, their great teacher, slept. It seemed like he was off duty. It seemed like he was out of touch. He slept back there. Carest thou not that we perish? Master, come on. Don't you see we're dying? We're going to go down. Don't you care about us? And Jesus arose, he arose and rebuked the wind. And he said unto the sea, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now that seems like a, you know, from my perspective as a human and from yours, I'm sure, it seems like this is almost ludicrous of Jesus to, to pose that question to them. Why are you so fear, fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And yet, you know, from Jesus' position as master of the universe, uh, I'm sure it didn't seem ludicrous or ridiculous of him to ask that question. He knew the power he possessed. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared. The disciples feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples had seen Jesus healing people. He'd seen other miracles, no doubt. He'd seen the water. Be, they, <clears throat> if they weren't there, they'd heard at least of the water being turned into wine. And this seems a little bit strange that they, you know, now say, well, you know, even the wind and the sea obey him. It's almost like they put that out into a different category, a category above, well above whatever Jesus had done already. 
But there's no doubt that the disciples still hadn't fully realized who this special person in their little ship was. They didn't know who they were carrying across that sea that night, I'm sure. True peace comes not from knowing you have everything in control, but rather true peace comes from knowing you're in the hands of the one who is in control of everything. True peace comes not from knowing you have everything in control. As men, I believe, even more so maybe than the ladies, we we like to know that we have things wrapped up. And I don't know, maybe it's the same across, maybe that's a a gender-neutral issue. But we like to know that we have things in control. We have everything planned out and all the details in place in our lives and what we do. And, And I think God has designed us that way. He's gave man dominion over the earth. But I think man at some point takes that too far and he tries to control things that are really not in his, is in his control and then he becomes frustrated. He loses his peace because he can't control those things that are beyond his, in his hands or what God hasn't given to him to control. And so he loses his peace and he's, you know, master, carest thou not that we perish. And I don't believe that Jesus wants us to not wake him up. Not that Jesus is sleeping spiritually. I think Jesus wants to hear from us, but maybe he wants to hear from us well before we're in a panic. Maybe he wants to hear from us when the waves start picking up. Maybe he wants to be tapped. Said, you know, Jesus, there's waves, the wind's coming in. Uh, What do you think we ought to do? Instead of, Jesus, get up, you know, don't you see we're dying? No, maybe, maybe that's, that's one key here. But for sure, true peace comes from knowing that we're in the hands of the one who controls everything, is in control of everything. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know, did the disciples know that here was the word incarnate in the flesh within in this little ship? Did they have any idea of that? I believe that they had some idea. They maybe had a feeling, but somehow they, they weren't comprehending it yet fully. John 16, 31, Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye in me, that you in Christ, that I in Christ, that we in Christ might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Tribulation shall come. Things that are out of our control will come, but be of good cheer, for I, for Christ, has overcome the world. For I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. 
We're in the hands of the one that has overcome the world. Christ is a source of Christian peace. Live in peace. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. How do we lose our peace? How do we lose our peace? Have you ever lost your peace? Have I ever lost my peace? I have. Uh, we saw what happened in the garden there. Peace, or not in the garden, what happened in the garden, but then in our Sunday school lesson with Cain and Abel. Peace dissolved when, when Cain was not willing to uh, follow God's plan. Disobedience will dissolve peace, will blow peace. Isaiah 57, 19 says this, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. So this is the Lord's design. He would heal. He would give peace. Verse 20 says this, though, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. And these great waves keep rumbling, breaking in without let up. Hurricane winds, we've heard a lot about that recently. These great waves, they, they don't stop. Uh, they cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and mud or dirt. These deep eddying currents, I've had to think of the, the Mississippi River. We drive across that when we go to Missouri, and I've seen that where, you know, it's just, just down to churning. And it's churning up this dirt and debris, and, and it just does not look peaceful. Uh, it, it looks like a, a great, you know, undesirable force. And that's how that the wicked are, or that wickedness does to lives. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There is no peace to the wicked. The Lord would desire peace for them. He would desire to heal them. But they don't let him. So that's one thing that that uh, destroys peace. Isaiah 9 and 8 says this as well. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. The Lord's hand is that it can save. It's strong. It's powerful. It can reach out. It can save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The Lord can hear. His ears are not dull. He's not deaf like the prophets were. I mean, like the... Like the uh, God of or Baal was there where the prophets of, of Baal were trying to call out to their God and, and Elijah told him, maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe you need to wake him up. Well, God's not like that. His ear's not deaf. He doesn't need to be wakened. It can hear. It does hear. But it says this in verse 2 of Isaiah 9. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He's turned his ear from you because you've created a block. You have put something in between you and your God. And separation from God always equals lack of peace. Separation from God always equals lack of peace, always brings turmoil. James 4 says this, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Can they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? 
Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whatsoever therefore, or whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Yielding ourselves to lust, to selfish ambition, desires, hatred, all bring about a separation, a lack of peace. They destroy peace when we yield ourselves to lust, to bitterness, to whatever would come between us and God. Selfishness will take our peace. Lack of faith will take our peace, will cause us to lose our peace. The disciples lost their peace in the sea because they thought Jesus was not in touch with them. They didn't, you know, Jesus was back there sleeping and they panicked. Um, I've lost my peace that way as well. Maybe that comes closer to home to us. We think maybe God doesn't really know or really doesn't care. Uh, Job and Jeremiah felt that way. I've been reading in Jeremiah recently, and I'm just impressed at how that Jeremiah goes back to God. God gives Jeremiah an assignment. Jeremiah does it. He preaches the word. He goes out. And then he comes back to God after he's been mistreated by his foes, by the the wicked Jewish hierarchy there in in Israel uh, that were keeping them from following God's leading and and just just surrendering to to Babylon. And, uh, of course, they're upset with him. He's not patriotic like he should be. You know, that's what they're saying about Jeremiah. And he comes back to God and he, he, you know, he argues with God. He says, Look, I've given them this message and they've responded thus. And, you know, he he brings out a complaint to God. And and then God answers him. And God says, gives him another assignment. Go do this. And I find that so interesting how that God just keeps him right at it. And and Jeremiah, God doesn't seem upset that Jeremiah comes back and he, you know, argues his case with God. But uh, the, the, the redeeming part of Jeremiah is there that he, he just takes the next assignment and goes on with it, even some very extreme assignments that God gives him. Job, of course, that's a that's a real study in, in faith there. I, I just find that very interesting every time I think of it, read it. How that Job, you know, is trying to figure out what God has in mind here. And uh, and and it seems like God doesn't come through to him. And, and I think that God does test us sometimes in this way. He, he takes us to our point of, of extremity. He, he tests us deeply to see where our loyalties really lie and to strengthen us, I believe. But we need that faith. We need to, to really fully trust God for who he is and, and just, just stay there. Stay there firm. God does care. He really does. Even in the hour of our deepest need, he will come through. He will calm those inner storms in our lives if we'll simply trust him and and really give our all to him. He will do that for us.
Live in peace. Living in peace. I'd like to look at this. Living in peace. True peace comes not from knowing again. You have everything in control, but rather true peace comes from knowing you're in the hands of the one who is in control of everything. True peace is knowing that that person in the boat, that little ship with you is Jesus, and he really can calm the sea if he wants to. And if he doesn't want to, he's in the boat with you. So that's there's where it stands. And you can just trust that that he's... Uh, He's in control of the storm, even if the, if he doesn't calm the storm. That's, I believe, true peace. Living in peace requires commitment. It requires exercise of our spiritual graces. Focus on godly works and effort and honor of God's, and, and effort and honor of God's design in family and workplace. Now, this is a, that's a long sentence there. I'll try to break it down here. Um, Colossians, I take this from Colossians 3, 12 through 23. And you're welcome to turn your Bibles to this passage. First of all, commitment. Living in peace requires commitment. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. That speaks to me of commitment. Put on, therefore. That means that I physically put on, physically, spiritually put on, as the elect of God, knowing that I am God's chosen. I am chosen of God to bear his name, to be his child. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. First of all, be merciful, bowels of mercy. Having a, an inner being full of mercy for others. Compassion. Kindness. Put on kindness. Put on humbleness of mind. All of these are not easy for us as humans. Uh, it's not easy to be merciful, to be compassionate always. It's not always easy to be kind. It's not always easy to be humble, for sure. Uh, humbleness of mind. Uh, meekness. Long-suffering. These are. This is the commitment of our part. And we could go into each one of these and look at it. I'm not going to do that. We get the picture. We're called to put those on. It's a commitment on our part that we're called to. And then verse 13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity. Again, put on love. And in a sense, you could say, how can you put these on? Well, maybe you can't in a way. I mean, these are graces that come from Christ. But we can exercise them. We can grow into them. We can develop them. And in that sense, we put them on. They come from Christ. Above all things, all these, put on charity, put on love, which is the bond of perfect, perfectness. Focus on godly works. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Focus on godly works. This is not something that we just 
that just happens. We have to make an effort to, to make this happen, to teach, to admonish one another, uh, to sing psalms and hymns and, and uh, sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And whatever we do in word or deed, to do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This takes a focus on the Word of God. It takes a focus on good things. And I believe, if, if anything, this may be as large of a key as any to, to being living in peace. Uh, Brother Tim, when he was shared with us, Tim Miller, revival meetings, I recall one message that he spent a lot of time telling us on how that to, the best way to, to get rid of evil in our hearts is to starve that evil by filling our hearts with good things. And I believe that's what this is saying. Filling our hearts with good things and eventually that love, that goodness will flow out. Now, I know that the spirit of Christ, we can't minimize the spirit of Christ and his work in our lives. Again, it's not something that we can do on our own, but we can nurture and cultivate the, what the spirit would work in our lives by by bringing these into it, by focusing here. And then effort and honor of God's, an effort in our part, in honor of God's design in family and workplace. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey your in all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. There's a, a design here that God has put in place. I'm not going to go all through it. We know it. But it takes effort on our part. It takes honor on our part to follow this design all the way down from from family, how we relate to God, uh, to the workplace, how that works. Um, and last of all, whatever, wherever you're at, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. When we follow God's design, when, we, when our focus is on godly works, when we're truly committed to putting on Christian graces, as it says in verse 12, uh, then we're in, in a position to have peace, no, badly, no matter how badly the, the storm rages outside. It doesn't mean our little ships won't get tossed about by the waves of uncertainty or derision or insults or bad treatment or health problems or financial difficulties or rocky marriages or accidents or you can fill in the blanks. But it does mean... Our master will be in that little ship with us. He'll be in that little ship with us. And he will calm that storm in our hearts, even if that little ship is being rocked about. And he will bring peace to our souls as he sees fit. And I believe that. I believe if, it were, if that weren't the, the case, I sure, certainly wouldn't have peace. There would have been times in my life where I certainly wouldn't have had peace. And I know that... It, there are people here that have have would bear testimony to that, being in the storm and the storm rages and yet having a peace in that storm.
Brother Harold Kaufman witness testified to that. Uh, I read his for what Brian had <clears throat> written about him and how how that he he you know gave that to the Lord of his wife passing on there in Guatemala. Uh, there's many many other cases where we see where Christians even in the midst facing persecution facing all kinds of adversity have a deep settled peace and it it brings real uh, it, it sends out a real testimony to the world it sends out a real testimony to 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 the people that are are persecuting them they don't understand it how that it can be but Christ wants that for us okay a passion for peace. Live in peace. The God of love and peace shall be with you. Having a passion for peace. In this world of, of wars, rumors of wars, of spam, of viruses, of hatred, of selfishness, of uh, everything else that we see going on that's evil, how do we keep in our hearts, in our souls, a passion for peace. I think we need that. I think we need a passion for peace. I think Christ calls us to that. That's the essence of his ministry. It's not a buddy-buddy sort of peace. You know, I'm your buddy, you're my buddy, he's our buddy, we're all buddies, and you know, whatever differences we have between us, we'll compromise, we'll somehow get this all together, and we'll be friends. That's not what Christ is talking about. In fact, he said... I've not come to bring, bring peace, but a sword. That seems kind of like a contradiction, doesn't it? Um, when Jesus talks so much about bringing peace, being the king of, uh, the prince of peace. He says in Matthew 10, 34, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And in a way you could see it as a contradiction, but it's not. Christ came to bring peace between God and man. That's what he came to bring peace. Where he came to bring peace. He didn't necessarily come to bring peace between men, although that's the outworkings of a good relationship with God between many men, many women, or between people and God translates, should translate into a peaceful relationship between men. But if you read history, if you read where groups came out from among heathen, where groups came out from among wrong doctrine, uh, you'll see that there is often the sword took place. Uh, and, that, and that's sad. I, I was just impressed, and I may have said this before. Uh, I read the book Hidden Rainbow, and that's a, that's, that's a book about uh, where, where a family came to the saving knowledge of Christ and amidst a very um, dead <clears throat> orthodox religion um, that was not, that did not have in it any form of, of real spirituality. And, you know, it caused a sword in that family. Uh, that family was suddenly ostracized from the rest of the village. Uh, they were suddenly... You know, they had eggs thrown at their house, rotten eggs. They had all kinds of other bad things happen to them. They had, they were, they were cursed. 
they were there was some sort of witchcraft worked against them because of what they did. Um, they were hated. It, it brought a sword in their lives. And that's what I believe Jesus was talking about. It's it's God calls for unadulterated loyalty, our unadulterated allegiance. And that's what brings a sword between man and God's chosen people, the people who choose to follow God. But I'd like to look at this Matthew 5. Verse 5 through 10, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, blessed, blessed for those who seek peace who do peace. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they pure in heart. These are all attributes that bring about peace, that bring about true, inner, godly peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are not the cult carriers. Uh, You've probably seen that. uh, A person with a cult firearm in his hand and on it, written peacemaker. That's not what it's talking about. Um, it's talking about people that are bringing people to the source of peace. <clears throat> Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And this is where stands to me as the stands out to me as a passion for peace. Blessed are those which are willing to pursue peace to the point that they're willing to be persecuted. They're willing to stand up for righteousness. They're willing to stand up for the oppressed. They're willing to stand in the gap for that person that needs him. They're willing to be compassionate, even when it's not popular. They're willing to be Jeremiah's, to speak out for God, even when it's not the right message in the sense of worldly terms. They're willing to be persecuted because they they have a passion for the source of peace for God. First Timothy two. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This looks to me like this this stands out to me as a, a passion on Paul's part for for peace. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Intercessions, really standing in there and, and praying and, and doing all we can. Giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Jesus is the summation of peace found in the Hebrew Shalom. It's in him that we find the whole message of of peace that God would bring to man on the earth. Love your enemies. Uh, Bless them that curse you. 
And then Philippians 4, 7, and 8. And the God of peace, and the peace of God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And truly, the peace of God is, is not understandable, is it? I don't think that that, 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 that uh, phrase there was just written in there. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. It's not something we can just dissect, pick apart, pick apart and say, okay, this is what it is. It's something much deeper than that. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through who? Christ Jesus, the source of true peace. God bless you all this morning, and I wish you peace as you go throughout the day in this coming week. You've been listening to Live in Peace, a message by Gerald Schrock. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Thanks for listening, and come visit us sometime.